Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show here on another Sunday afternoon. Sign Guy and the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he has to boast because his favorite all-time movie is Ghost. Coach Mike Jones. Some show notes today if you're looking for some professional wrestling. Rhinehouse Pro Wrestling at the Arena in Jeffersonville, Indiana today. Warrior Pro Wrestling in Danville, Indiana. The debuting Derby City Wrestling in Louisville, Kentucky. Primo's Pro Wrestling happening today in Westminster, Colorado. Without further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the show today. Out of the great state of Kentucky, he has done pretty much any job you could think of within the world of professional wrestling at one time or another. Bobby Blade, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Hey, 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 fellas. Thanks for having me on. Man, we've been trying to get this done for almost a year. Yeah, it, it's it been a bit in coming, but we're happy we got to this point today. First question for you, since it's your first time here, what got you into the business of professional wrestling? Well, I was always a fan uh, growing up. Um, I started watching in about 1977, right around uh, four years old. Um, yeah, I've been watching it for a long time. Loved it. Um, the first person that uh, actually caught my eye was uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, as soon as I saw him get crazy and wild and everything on his promos and everything, I was like, this is great. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life, and that's who I want to be like. And um, – so I, I grew up idolizing Roddy Piper. Most people were Hulk Hogan fans in the in the 80s. Um, I was a fan of Piper. Uh, that's who I wanted to be. And um, it was just the best thing that I've ever seen, and um, I've been hooked ever since. But um, as far as, like, me getting into the business, um, I went to school with a guy named uh, Jamin' Jimmy Lamb. His brother and his brother-in-law wrestled and then he started wrestling not too long after they did and he was still in high school wrestling and um of course you know all of our discussions and everything we we were fast friends all of our discussions were about pro wrestling about how we both loved it and everything he confided to me that he had started wrestling started training and everything and uh, of course that piqued my interest well can you get me in the business and uh he said, well, let me talk to my to my brother-in-law. He does a lot of training. So um, he talked to his brother-in-law, and he said that uh, he would give me a call. His brother-in-law was a guy named Mr. Irresistible Terry Embry, uh, no relation to Eric Embry. Um, brother-in-law didn't call. Uh, then I had a chance to meet uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant uh, through another friend, and so we met him, uh, got all his information from his school, 
and everything. He told me how much it would be. Of course, I was very excited about this. I called Jimmy Lamb up and uh, told him, you never guess who who I just met tonight and everything. He's like, who? And I said, handsome Jimmy Valley. And he said, oh, that's awesome. He said, uh, what would you all talk about? And I said, well, I you know, talked about joining this school and everything. And he says, hold up, hold up. Before you do anything, let me talk again to my brother-in-law. And so he did. He talked to his brother-in-law. And the very next day, uh, Terry Embry, Mr. Resistible Terry Embry, ended up giving me a call. And um, he says, hey, I, you know, I will train you as a favor to Jimmy. And uh, he said, only if you're serious about it. I said, absolutely, I'm serious about it. So um, around a month later, he started training me. And um, the rest is history. I had uh, my first match August the 7th, 1991 in Scottsburg, Indiana, at the uh, National Guard Armory. And um, that was actually against my trainer, Mr. Irresistible Terry Embry. And uh, I lost that match in four minutes and 13 seconds. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it. It was the most nervous I'd ever been, And but it was it was great, great memory for me. But, man, was I nervous. And when you start wrestling obviously you're a fan of Roddy Piper who did multiple roles as well but did you envision doing multiple things when you first started did you think you would eventually manage and announce and ring announce and promote and do all these things or were you looking at it as strictly in ring at that point well I I was trying to be a manager uh, when I first started um, thing is, though, is when we got to the show that night, I trained, I trained as a wrestler while I was training to be a manager as well. But when we got to that very first show, um, one of the guys uh, had car issues and he couldn't make the show. So the promoter, which was also my trainer, came to me and said, hey, brother, brother. He said, um, this guy can't make it tonight. He says, we don't have any other, you know, extras that we could put in there you know, any alternates or anything like that, can we count on you to take this spot? And I was like, absolutely. And I was stuck in the ring, got stuck in the ring that night with him, and I was scared to death. But we made it happen, and it, and it turned out turned out pretty decently for, you know, for a first match. Now, one of the things that a lot of people may not fully understand is that in – Kentucky, there is, of course, the commission that oversees professional wrestling, and you have to be licensed, and it's not the hardest commission necessarily, but they are fairly strict there, and everyone that performs on the show has to be licensed. If you go to some of the neighboring states, there's no commission, no licensing. Of course, every state is individually commissioned or not, depending on how that state runs. Do you have a lot of history with having to directly deal with the commission and having either issues with them or having a relatively easy path with the commission? Yeah, it's been a pretty easy path for me. Um, the thing is, is, you know, a lot of the the outside states away from Kentucky that don't have um, commissions, they think, you know, they hear that Kentucky has a commission and they're like, oh gosh, you can't do anything there. 
Well, you absolutely can just stay in their parameters. You can have a great show by following the rules. And um, I've never had any run-ins um, with the commission, except maybe one time I had broken my collarbone uh, on my last match um, that I had. And um, I had posted on Facebook, and the commissioner at the time, he called the promoter and says, Hey, Bobby Blade's posting about a broken collarbone on Facebook. We, you know, we're going to have to suspend his license for uh, medical reasons if he doesn't, you know, stop posting about it, posting about it, and everything. But uh, other than that, there was, there's been no issues between me and the commission whatsoever. I know a lot of the, a lot of the guys and the girls, you know, in the state of Kentucky don't like the commission, but you can absolutely have a great show and, um, you know, have an acceptable show and, and a, and a you know, a wonderful show, just by following the rules, just stay in the parameters. And that's all you have to do. I agree with you there. Very true. Now, Kentucky also has a lot of unique history. In the territorial days, Kentucky had sort of an overlap as far as promotions you had the Memphis Territory at various times claiming parts of Kentucky, if not all of it. Dick the Bruiser would sometimes go into northern Kentucky around Louisville and surrounding places within Kentucky. You had ICW, which was ran by the Poffle family out of uh, Lexington. You had the WWF, of course, once they started the national push, they would go into Louisville pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Do you do much delving into the history of professional wrestling within the state of Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I grew up watching uh, Memphis wrestling, um, you know, watching Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee, Lance Russell, all those guys, as well as ICW. Um ICW was around when I was very young, and I believe it ended in 84, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I got to see almost the uh, the entirety of that run. Um, yeah, it's fantastic, man. There's a lot of wrestling history that comes from Kentucky that people just don't realize. You know, the Poffos, they ran um, ICW, and uh, they ran uh, Lexington and, you know, all around the surrounding counties and stuff like that. Drew great houses. You know, a lot of history came out of that promotion. Everything was outlaw promotion, but you know, and the thing is, is and and people have um, uh, this certain um, I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but when somebody says outlaw, they think it's a bad thing, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. All that means is that the promotion does not have a connection uh, with a major you know promotion, like a you know the WWF or the NWA or AWA or anything you know at the time. That's all that outlaw means. But uh, um, ICW was an outlaw promotion. Drew great houses. A lot of great talent came from came from there. Um, when it folded, um, that talent, you know, started going to other promotions, you know, other independent promotions throughout the state and stuff like that. Um, I ended up working with a lot of former ICW guys over at the Mountain Wrestling Association um, in Georgetown. Uh, a lot of those guys came to work for Dale Mann over there. Um, and uh, they were all great to learn from, all great. But, yeah, there's a ton of history that came from the state of Kentucky. 
Speaking of Georgetown, you and I both come from the UWF, which was Big Dog Cujo and Felony Fox's promotion. They ran there at 110 Edwards in Georgetown at the flea market. So much great talent came out of the UWF and went on to become superstars at the national level. Crazy Mary Dobson, Amazing Maria, Mary Elizabeth Monroe all got some of their earlier breaks in the UWF. And you had guys that had been on the national scene, people like Tracy Smothers and Chris Harris that would come in and work. Uh, You had legendary Larry D. regularly work for the UWF. He went on to great fame with Impact Wrestling. How lucky were we to be able to wrestle at a promotion like that with so much great talent? I know I was only there periodically whenever I'd be in the area, but you were a regular there, saw a lot more of the talent more frequently than I did. How great was that for you? being able to be in that locker room at that time. Brother, and that was actually toward the toward the end of my career. Um, but if there was a lot of great talent that came through there, and I don't think that the UWF gets as much uh, credit as it deserves because a lot of good stuff happened there. A lot of, a lot of really great shows happened. And, um, you know, like you, like you said, a lot of guys that went on and girls that went on to uh, national stardom. Um, came through there, and they, man, it was great. I and mean, you know, you're working with Chris Harris, you know, one week. The next week, you're working with Larry D. The next week, you know, you're, you're working with uh, Kyle Craven, who works on uh, Battle of the Border uh, Wrestling now. And um, you know, just working with all this top tier talent. And um, yeah, they really need to um, get the credit that they deserve because, you know, toward the end, it wasn't what it was near the beginning, like when you were there. But it definitely was a great time and a great show, and we had a lot of great opportunities there. 100% agree with you. I was always very appreciative of being able to work at the UWF whenever I got the chance. Yeah. One of the other people that came out of the UWF, among many other promotions that Fans nationwide probably don't know, but he is in the Turnbuckle Turmoil Hall of Fame, and we know why he contributed to the business, that being the late, great Jim Chadwick. I know you were (laughs) around Jim quite a bit. What can you tell us about working with Jim Chadwick? Oh, man, Jim Chadwick. Gentleman Jim Chadwick was a great guy. We had a relationship that uh, we would be – at each other's throats one minute and then hugging and talking about old times the next minute. He was a great guy. Uh, He passed away in 2013, um, far too young. I believe he was 54 years old when he passed. But um, Jim, I met at the Mountain Wrestling Association, and this was the Mountain Wrestling Association, the MWA, ran also in Georgetown at a different time than the UWF did in a different building. Um, but it was also kind of like a mini territory as well because we traveled all over the state and outside of Kentucky as well uh, running shows, and we stayed pretty busy with them. But uh, Jim started off over at the uh, Mountain Wrestling, and he, and he also did uh, some, some mic work 
uh, doing production work and everything for the ICW, Papo, Papo's ICW. But um, he was the ring announcer for a long time over at the MWA. And um, then uh, there was a guy named Rated X, Jimmy Walls, um, who is a uh, Kentucky legend as well. And um, he's kind of like Jimmy Walls, Rated X, is kind of like I would consider him the Hulk Hogan of Kentucky, if that makes any sense. Um, but when X started working over in Georgetown, he was a heel. And um, Jim was looking to get out from behind the announcing booth and start managing. Well, Danny Fargo, who was the promoter, fabulous Danny Fargo, um, he decided to flip Jim heel and put him with X. And so they started, you know, running roughshod, and they were a great team together, you know, as far as, you know, manager and a wrestler. And then they put Dangerous Doug Vines with them. And Jim, he named Rated X and Doug Vines the Gentleman's Club. And that name, the Gentleman's Club, stuck around all the way up until the end for Jim. Uh, every iteration of the Gentleman's Club, you know, he managed and everything was, was great. Everybody always clicked and worked well with Jim. Um, fantastic guy. He can make you so mad, you know, one second, and then turn around the next second and you're, and you're laughing your head off at him. Uh, great guy, super personable, very knowledgeable about everything in the business. If you ever had any questions about how to do something, Jim can help you out. If you were in the middle of a program with somebody and you needed to come up with something, you know, to move to the next part of that program, he could get you there. You know, he could just, you know, point you in the direction that you needed, or he could, you know, tell you something to help you out to find it in yourself to get to the next part of that program. Jim was fantastic, man. Fantastic guy. And I miss him a lot. He was a ton of fun. I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. Oh, all good, brother, all good. Now, to this day, I carry a pair of pink socks in my gear bag, and I will slip those on in memory of Jim Chadwick. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, one of the things that a lot of young wrestlers, when they start out, don't have a grasp on is the actual traveling part and knowing the do's and the don'ts of traveling and knowing what to do to make things work successfully on a trip. Mm -hmm. I know you travel around quite a bit in your day. What are some of the travel mm -hmm. tips you would have for a young wrestler just getting his start? Well, if you're going on, uh, we used to call them loops, which was, you know, a, a circuit of towns and everything uh, to keep you busy throughout the week and everything. Um, we would, uh, at the MWA, when I started there, it was a totally different monster from what um, I was used to working because before, before I went to the MWA, um, it was, somebody's calling me, <laughs> uh, before I went to the MWA, I was working maybe, you know, a couple, two or three times a month. Then when I went to the MWA, we started working four to five nights a week, you know, depending on the time of the year it was. Um, you know, during spring and summer, we'd work five nights a week, and during the fall and winter, we'd work four nights a week. But we would have a, a loop of towns that we would hit, and you just had to make sure that, 
you always had your gear, you know, regardless of whether you were working or not, or you, if you knew where you were working, um, have your hotel pre-booked. And a lot of us ran into that problem uh, a lot, uh, just going by luck and everything, trying to find a hotel. Um, yeah, get that pre-booked in advance. You know, go ahead and contact the hotels in advance. Get what you need done and everything. If not, you know, go in halves with somebody on a room, something like that. Make sure that you, you know, have some uh, snacks and all that stuff ready. You know, just so you're you're good to go there and everything. Don't don't. I mean, when you first start out, you're going to go in the hole. But once you once you get it, you get the routine down, and you know what to do, and you know where and everything, you, you'll stop going in the hole. Live within your means. Um, does that make any sense, or am I just rambling? I'm sorry. Makes perfect sense to me, absolutely. Okay. I kind of get off the similar Kind of attached to that. A lot of wrestlers, especially when they're starting, don't necessarily think about their actual travel bag and how important that is to a wrestler to have a good travel bag that they take to all the towns to carry everything. Do you have recommendations on the actual physical travel bag for a wrestler? Like what What would be in it? What would be in it? What brand? What to look for in a bag? Anything like that that would help. Well, you definitely want to have uh, enough space to have, um, like if you're going on a loop, you want to take two bags, have your bag with all your gear and stuff in it, and then have a separate bag with your with your street clothes in it. And, you know, any kind of change of clothes, you need towels and you know stuff like that. Um, you want to have uh, a bag with a lot of you know zippered pockets and everything, so you can put small things like gimmicks in and you know chains and you know anything that you think you might use, um, you know powder and all that stuff and everything. And, you know just things like that. I used to, I had two of the bags with wheels on them. They're a lot easier to carry. They're, you know, just roll them behind you. They were loud, you know, but, you know, it was way easier than having a bag that um, you had to actually carry over your shoulder and stuff. Um, but, yeah, make sure that you've got enough in there to cover all the shows as far as, you know, gear. Um, make sure that you've got enough street clothes and your other bags to cover the entire, you know, trip that you're gone um, and so on and so forth. Now, one of the other things that you are noted for, not necessarily because of what you've done in the business, but almost out of the business is you have a massive wrestling DVD collection, I know, and you own a lot of professional wrestling footage. What got you into collecting wrestling footage, and how far back does the footage that you have go? Well, I've got stuff going back to the to the 1950s. Um, I don't have much from the 50s, but I do have some stuff from the 50s um, and 60s. But, um, I, like, I, I used to collect on uh, VHS. I used to collect 
like all the pay-per-views and all the other, you know, uh, uh, compilation tapes and all that stuff. And um, that just kind of carried over into my DVD collecting as well. Um, I've gotten every every pay-per-view that the WWE and WWF has ever done, every pay-per-view that WCW, NWA, WCW has ever done, um, all the ECW pay-per-views. I've got, like, all the biographies up until the Finn Balor WWE documentary. I don't have that in any documentaries after that because um, they're just getting too hard to find. Um, I like to go I like to go find them physically in stores as opposed to order them off of online and everything because I kind of feel that's cheating. But um, as far as, like, independent shows and everything, it's – shows that I've been part of, that I filmed, um, things that I borrowed from people and I've put them on DVD, um, so on and so forth. I've got thousands of, of wrestling DVDs. There's a lot of footage there. And a lot of people joke that I'm the, I'm the original WWE network, but yeah, I've got a lot of stuff, man. Well, at this point in time, my coach, coach Mike Jones is with us. I know coach has questions. He absolutely has been looking forward to this, so I'm going to pass things over to Coach. All right. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, brother? How's it going, Coach Mike? It's going good. It's an honor and privilege and pleasure to have you on, man. So, hey, Same who were here. some of your heroes? Who were some of your heroes growing up? Whether it was sports, music, wrestling, or ordinary life, or all of the above. Well, Rowdy Roddy Piper, like I've said before, he was my main hero. Um, he's who I actually patterned my career after. Um, uh, Jerry the King Lawler, um, you know, Bill Dundee, all the Memphis guys. I loved Memphis wrestling. I loved it. the uh, National Wrestling Alliance, Jim Crockett Promotions. Um, Ric Flair, he was, he's, you know, a hero of mine. Um, stuff like that. But I've always loved Roddy Piper. I like everything that he's ever done. I've always tried to pattern myself after Roddy Piper as far as uh, uh, presentation-wise and uh, attitude-wise and, and things like that. Awesome. And then did you play sports in high school or growing up? I, I wrestled in high school, but I didn't actually make the team. Um, and I'll explain oh. that. Uh, yeah, I, I'll explain that. Um, we had tryouts. And I did good, but I snuck in some punches, and it didn't fly. <laughs> so okay. yeah, they they yeah they cut me before I even made it. So. <laughs> and then, what's your self defense background? Uh, just wrestling. Okay, and yeah. then let me see. What different characters have you worked throughout the years? Oh man, uh, as far as me as my characters, yeah. Okay, um, well, I'm currently and have been a lone wolf Bobby Blade for the past um, maybe 20 years. And uh, what that is, it's kind of a, you know, the character has like a Raven-esque type look as far as like, you know, dress-wise and everything, cut-off shorts and the cut-off shirt and the flannel around the waist and bandana and all that. Um, I also wrestled as a giant cat for about six months called Simba. <laughs> and it was ridiculous as it sounds. Uh, it was around when the Lion King uh, was out and became popular. 
uh, promoter came to me, and he says, you know that Lion King's over with the kids, right? And I'm like, yeah, and he says, go get you some face paint and uh, call yourself Simba. And I had a pair of tiger-striped uh, uh, tights that I was wearing at the time. So it all tied in together, and I actually had hair at the point, so I would tease my hair out like a mane, like a lion's, lion's mane. And, uh, yeah, it, it got over pretty well, but it was uh, it was ridiculous. I growled and I roared <laughs> and I, I scratched people, and I never really spoke when I was Simba, uh, you know, just growling and roaring. I bit the ropes, bit my opponents. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I did a I did a, a gimmick called uh, Pretty Boy Bobby Blade. That was kind of when I first started. And it was kind of like a, a rich boy gimmick, but I was so terribly shy. Uh, when I first got in the business and scared, um, that that didn't really work out at all. Um, I, I did a gimmick that was kind of like a cross between the Honky Tonk Man and uh, Double J um, called the King of Rock and Roll, Bobby Blade. And what I would do is I had this guitar, an electric guitar, and I had a cowboy hat and, you know, gear with fringe and all that stuff. And I would go out and I would, you know, play the guitar and everything, can't play a lick. But I would play the guitar, you know, and, and try to dance. And uh, it was ridiculous, but it was funny, too, because I would always promise that I was going to sing, you know, my next hit song. Well, they'd hook <laughs> up the amp. They they would hook up at the, the amp at the building and hook the guitar into it. And then right before I would get ready to start playing and singing my song, somebody would come out with a note that said something like, Oh, the fire marshal has said that this amp is not a regulation amp, and it can't hold the, you know, the voltage that's going to come through it and everything in the building. So we have to cancel the we have to cancel the song tonight, the performance tonight. So I would never actually end up singing, but yeah, it was ridiculous too. I did some ridiculous stuff, and probably uh, Lone Wolf Bobby Blade was probably my best character. Dang, impressive. Okay, and then. Uh... Let me see. What are some of the most memorable matches you've seen and been involved in? Well, I got to wrestle the Bushwhackers twice. That was a lot of fun, and um, that was uh, yeah. I was a little nervous for that and everything because they were they were a little hard to understand in the ring. But uh, we had some good matches. Um, they were fun. They were definitely a highlight. Uh, I wrestled uh, Bobby Fulton in uh, Winchester, Kentucky, in 2012, I believe, and that was a highlight for me. Um, wrestled the Rock and Roll Express in Litchfield, Kentucky. Um, that was only a five-minute match, but it was fun. Uh, had a 10-second match with Wolfie D from PG-13 in Georgetown. Uh, see, I wrestled Bill Dundee like three or four different times. Um, a lot of the Memphis guys, we uh, the MWA had a uh, working relationship with the USWA at the time. And what they would do is when somebody wasn't being used at USWA, they would, you know, get sent up to the MWA and they'd work with us up there a little bit. So I got to work with a lot of them guys. Bill Dundee, three, different, three or four different times. Buddy Landell, I wrestled him. That was fun. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun with a lot of different guys, man. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. And then yeah. let me see. Who are your favorite people to work? Wildcat Chris Harris, my absolute favorite person to work with ever. Um, oh, you knew right that on. you were going to have – yeah, you knew you if you were booked against Wildcat Chris Harris, you were going to have a good match. 
he was going to go out of his way to make you look fantastic. Um, you know, he, he, it was give and take all the time. He wouldn't, you know, just wouldn't come in and squash you or anything like that. Uh, he was very giving, always good person to me. Um, Prince Justice, who is now, you know, the monster abyss, he was also a lot of fun to work with. Um, let's see, uh, great guy, never changed the entire time. You know, I knew him before, you know, he got big in TNA. And uh, always the same guy, always the same guy, never changed personality-wise at all. Nice. And uh, one of our questions on this show is, Stein Guy and the fans would like to know what your favorite coffee to drink is. Favorite coffee? Yes. Zero. Uh, Yep, we get that answer more often than not, probably 40 to 45% of the time. What do you think, Stein? I'm going to say... Probably a thirty-five to forty-five percent. Yeah. Okay. Really? Exactly. All right. Now, yeah, I'm not, let's not see. a fan of the coffee. What were some of your toughest opponents in wrestling? Abyss. Abyss was the uh, toughest guy to work. Um, the thing was, uh, thing with Abyss is um, the entire match was one big spot. So if you're not, you know, if if your memory's a little bit bad or anything, which mine is now, it's a little tough to get through, but he can get you through it, you know, safely. But uh, yeah, he was he was uh, he was tough to work. He was a lot of fun to work with. Great guy, but he's also tough to work. Okay, and then what are your suggestions for people wanting to get into the business? Find something else to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Um, the thing is, man, is if you start, if you're serious about wanting to get in the business, find a reputable trainer, you know, somebody that can make themselves, you know, themselves a star as well as other people. Um, stick with your training. Don't train once or twice and then quit and say, I'm a pro wrestler. You know, stick with your training all the way through. Make sure that you get your trainer's seal of approval, you know, before you have your first match. Um, just be respectful, you know. Ears and eyes open, mouth shut. That's the main thing. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, that are my age and came from my day and everything says, you know, they think that you don't have an opinion when you first get in. That's kind of true, but also, too, you if something's not up to snuff, you need to, you know, let it, you know, let it be known. But, you know, follow through with everything that you do. Don't lie to people. Keep your word. Keep your word. That is the main thing. If you tell somebody that, yes, I'll take a booking on this date, make sure that you're there by hook or by crook because, you know, they don't, they don't have to give you that spot on the card, but they did. Don't let them down. Don't let your yes, trainer definitely. down. Don't let your peers down. For sure. And then what schools would you recommend? Uh, Legendary Larry D has uh, has a very good school here in Kentucky. Um, it's in Cynthiana, Kentucky. Um, it's called Legends Pro Wrestling Academy. Uh, also, I would uh, recommend uh, Bone Crushers up in Cincinnati, which is maybe an hour and a half up the road. Um, Roger Ruffin runs that. Um, he has turned out a lot of stars. Uh, Monster Abyss, 
Wildcat Chris Harris, Chad Allegra, who wrestles with Carl Anderson now. He got his start there. Um, John Moxley has worked there. Um, Jillian Hall, you know, and the list goes on and on of people that he's, you know, turned out of, of his school. Um, of course, OVW. OVW is, is, a, is a good place. A little pricey, but, you know, it's a good place. Um, New South Wrestling in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Their head trainer there is a guy named Picture Perfect, Jordan Cage, and he is excellent. He, at one time, he was the best-kept secret in Kentucky. Um, he, he worked at a lot of places all throughout Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, Indiana. Um, you know, he's gotten his name out pretty good and everything. Um, he doesn't take as many bookings now as he used to, but he is a very reputable trainer, and he'll get you to where you need to be. Awesome. All right. And then uh, this next segment's called Favorites. What was your favorite concert you've seen? Favorite concert I've seen, believe it or not, Weird Al Yankovic. Okay, yes, he's definitely awesome. And then who are your favorite sports teams? Who are your favorite, favorite sports, sports teams? teams? Uh, well, if uh, if we're talking about tag teams, <laughs> the wrestling is pretty much the only sport I really follow. Um, I, I'm not really that much into, like, team sports or anything like that. Okay, and uh, let me see. What do you got coming up? Uh, I have a couple of shows coming up. Uh, I actually had retired from the business in uh, 2014, came back for a few matches, a handful of matches with Primetime Wrestling in 2016, um, and then finished up my run there, had my last match in 2018, but did commentary until 2020 when the pandemic first hit. Um, but now. And I've been out since then, but now uh, I've been asked by several promotions to uh, come in and make some appearances. So I've got uh, two appearances coming up, and there's probably going to be more added to this as we go. Um, but I've got April the 8th uh, at the Elite Wrestling Alliance in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky, at the Thornhill Education Center. Uh, the show name of the show is called Rumble Royale, and it's like a big uh, Royal Rumble style battle royal in the main event um the uh bell time is seven uh general mission gets let in 6 30 early access meet and greet at six uh twenty dollars for the early access and the meet and greet fifteen dollars front row ten dollars general mission then april the 21st is um xcf a show called legendary at the arena in jeffersonville indiana and what that is, it's a benefit show for legendary Larry D. Uh, Larry and his family recently lost their house to a, a tragic house fire. Um, they they it took their home and all of their belongings. So it's a benef- benefit for him and his family uh, in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Doors open at 7 and bell time is at 8. Uh, ringside tickets are $25. General admission is 20 100% of the proceeds go to the Jones family, which is Larry D., after uh, the the house fire took their home and their belongings. So he'll get all of that um, going toward him to help him rebuild his house. Right and, on. Um, yeah, we're, we're huge Larry D fans. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've seen him since the beginning. And then what else? Uh, that'd be it uh, for now. But there's going to be – there's probably going to be some more added in there. Uh, but as of right now, that's the only two confirmed – dates that I actually have. And it's funny because this is like a little comeback tour. 
of me doing commentary and stuff. So I'm calling it the 50 and fat tour because I'm 50. <laughs> I'm 50 and, and I'm fat. So. <laughs> and then how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can get me on Facebook at uh, Bobby Blade. I have an ugly picture with me holding a microphone. Um, you can get me on Twitter at uh, Old School Icon. Um, you can find me on YouTube, uh, which I have a YouTube channel that features a lot of Kentucky uh, wrestling from the past on there from like the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, all you have to do is it's YouTube.com at YouTube. Dot, let me start over. YouTube.com slash at symbol Lone Wolf Bobby Blade. And um, yeah, be sure to check out the playlist on there um, because you can. It's got it separated, you know, up and through the different promotions. Uh, list of videos under each promotion and stuff like that. And I add weekly to it so far. Okay, awesome. I'm sure Sign Guy's got some more. But, hey, I would like to thank you so much for coming on, for your time, for all you've done for wrestling, and I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Well, Bobby Blade, one of the things that Coach and I know more than anything in this business, one of the most common surnames in our sport is Blade. We have a (laughs) lot of Blades running around the business. Do you have any affiliation with any of the other numerous blades within pro wrestling? Oh, we're all first cousins. <laughs> no, oh, that explains it. Uh, yeah. No, um, I actually got the last name Blade because of the job that I worked before I got into wrestling. I always carried around a, um, a, um, a safety knife. And I would always pull it out, you know, and jokingly threaten people with it. You know, I'm not really going to do something, but, you know, and I got the name, you know, they started calling me Blade. And the name Bobby, uh, my mom's name was Barbara, and she passed away too. But um, her name was Barbara, and her nickname was Bobby. So Bobby Blade, and that's where that came from. But, yeah, I have – I have no affiliation. I know a lot of other blades, but no affiliation uh, with any of the other 1,976 other blades. <laughs> you need to rent a convention center just for the family reunion. Yeah, when you have like a blade battle royal. I would watch that. I would pay double the ticket price. <laughs> Especially if it was a first blood blade match. <laughs> yeah. So promoters, if you're listening, now one of the things in the Kentucky regulations, as well as here in Washington, is if a wrestler has blood, the match is to be stopped very quickly. Uh, they frown on people bleeding in the ring uh, in these commissions. Did you have any instances where blood got introduced and your match was terminated real fast? Um, no, back when I was uh, back when I would bleed, I didn't bleed a lot, but when I did, it was way before the the commission got really strict about it. So not a whole lot was said. Uh, however, 
um, I was in a war games match, the you know the big cage match. Um, one of my partners, his name was uh, Mister Everything Max Sled, and um, basically, you know, the the rules of the war games is two guys start, and then every so often, you know, a guy from each team joins, you know, until everybody's in the ring, and then quote unquote the match actually starts. The you know the match beyond begins. Well. I started with a guy named Nasty Russ, and then Max was going to be the next person into the ring. Well, Max got uh, Max got into the ring, and almost as soon as he got into the ring, I don't know what happened, but I look over at Max, and he's gushing blood. So he had to leave the cage while all this was going on. You know, the match was going on, and he had to go get cleaned up and get the blood completely stopped. And then he rejoined again. So uh, it threw it off a little bit, but we eventually got back to where we needed to be in the match. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was affected, you know, pretty big there. But nothing where we actually had to completely stop the match. You know, just we delayed part of that match. And I carried it on while he was getting cleaned up. So Here's a piece of trivia. Very few people probably know both you and I have been in cage matches with Max Sled. Yeah, really? Yes, indeed. I was actually in a cage match with him last year in Washington. So there oh, we right. go. Yeah, he, yeah, him and Larry came up to Washington. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, absolutely they did. Yep. Now, I know you didn't travel a lot outside of the home base there, but looking at the landscape of things, especially earlier in your career, was there ever a spot, whether it's internationally or within the United States, that you really wish you would be able to go to to be on a show or were you happy just in your area and didn't really think about what other places were doing? Well, I would have liked to have gone to Canada and worked. Uh, I thought that would that would have been pretty cool. Um, the uh, the area that I that I was in um, most of the time was mostly Kentucky, but we did work in Tennessee and Ohio, Indiana, Virginia, West Virginia, Illinois, and then um, Dale Mann, who owned um, the MWA. And went from the 70s to the to the mid 90s. He would do an annual tour out west, um, you know, to to some of the western states. Um, those guys would go out there, um, and they'd be gone for like 30 days. Uh, I was very fortunate to go on the very last out west tour, so we only hit North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska, but and we were only gone for a week. But that was pretty cool there. Um, you know, outside outside of the states uh, of the U.S., I'd say Canada would be my number one pick to that I would want to work. Um, I would have liked to have worked in Florida, and I would have liked to have worked in in California, but I uh, never got the chance to. But um, I did hit about ten states up, so that that's not fun. bad, not bad at all. Yeah. Now, one of the things that the area where you were most prevalent in is known for and has been 
for the entirety of professional wrestling is the rowdy fans that can be there. It wasn't uncommon in the territorial days for wrestlers to have to literally fight their way from the ring to the locker room, sometimes going from the locker room to the ring even. It wasn't totally uncommon for wrestlers to get stabbed, have things thrown at them, have people physically assault them. It's not as prevalent in today's landscape, but it still does exist, especially in places like Kentucky and West Virginia and Alabama, places like that where the fan base has been so passionate for so long. Did you personally have very many instances where the fans got to riotous levels? Oh, yeah. Lots of them. Lots of them. Uh, We had a a riot in Hazard, Kentucky one night. Um, It was me and a guy named uh, Terrific Terry Allen. And uh, we were out at the ring, and uh, Todd Morton uh, and a guy named Rick Gibson were out there, and we were wrestling them. Well, we went to um, he he went to Terry had raised a chair to hit Todd with, and as he went back with the chair, it hit a little girl who was walking under the rope while the match was going on on the floor. Walked under the rope and he hit a little girl. He just barely tapped her. Um, then the next thing you know, here comes all these people, and they're just coming at us and everything. We're punching people and we're kicking people pushing, shoving and everything. They're trying to get to us. And we finally, you know, get our, get to the back and everything. They had to call the cops to come and stop, you know, the, stop the show long enough to get the crowd settled down, get the problem people out, you know, stuff like that. And then the show went on. But, um, yeah, there's been, man, Jackson, Kentucky, there was a big riot there with Tracy Smothers. Me and him were back-to-back with kendo sticks, swinging kendo sticks at people, trying to get them off of us. And, uh, you know, try, just trying to get out to the car, to get out the building, to get to the car, to get away. Um, there was a, um, a, a incident in Georgetown one night when uh, Primetime Wrestling was there. Um, we were, uh, this was after the NWA had left and, and before UWF had came. Um, but Primetime Wrestling was there, and there was a fan. His name was Jody, and he would always be drunk at the shows. Uh, he would show up drunk, you know, and stay drunk the entire time and um, come to the end of the night one night. I was on the floor as a manager. Um, I forget who I was managing. I think it might have been Cujo, but I'm probably wrong about that. But he spits at me, and, it, you know, he goes into my face. And then he turns around and tries to say that I spit on him, and I didn't. And the next thing you know, his entire family, which was like 20 deep, his entire family is coming at me, and uh, we have to we have to call the cops because they've called their other family that are not at the show. Their other family are parked out in the parking lot, and at both ends of the streets, the, the street that this building was on, you had two ways to get there, and both of them were blocked off by these people, this family, and they all had guns, and they were waiting on me to leave because they were going to shoot me because they swore up and down that I spit on Jody, and I did not. And uh, anyway, I got a, um, a police escort out of town uh, on that. Uh, cops showed up, got the people cleared out, got everybody arrested that need to be arrested. 
um, and got me to the county line safely, which I, you know, I very much appreciate them for that. Um, that uh, police escort was also in, in hazard that same night that I was talking about with the riot where we we're fighting the crowd. Um, man, they, it was a different time, man, seriously. And, and when I tell the younger kids about all the riots and all the, the people coming across the rope at you and, you know, stuff like that and, you know, trying to defend yourself and, you know, things like that, they look at me like I got two heads, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm lying to her or something. But, yeah, it's all, it, man, it was a crazy time. But it's a time that I would not trade for anything at all. One of the people that also survived a fair share of riots in that region, uh, someone I know we both worked on shows with at various points, you probably far more than I, that being the late, great Tracy Smothers, I know yeah. he helped countless people in the business in ways that most people will never fully fathom. What are some of your memories on Tracy Smothers? Tracy was one of the, one of the best people, too, man. He was one of my favorite people to be around. He was always had a kind word for me. Uh, he always had a smile for me and everything. I never got to wrestle Tracy, but I've tagged with him a lot and I've managed him a lot. And uh, he did when he was working uh, as part of the FBI and ECW, he was also working with us at the NWA. And uh, he had started a faction down there called Team ECW, quote unquote Team ECW, which was, you know, really he was the only ECW guy at the time. And it was me and him and a guy named Kelly Charles and um, a woman named Hot Stuff Patty, and Wolfie D, Paul Diamond, and um, Andy Anderson, which is not the same, not the same Andy Anderson that's, that's working now, but he was a different Andy Anderson out of Canada. And uh, so we were Team ECW. And um, that, was a, that was a highlight as far as, you know, great memories and everything. We would maul the baby faces and, you know, all that stuff, get the ECW chance going and, it was, it was great, even though none of us worked for ECW except for Tracy actually did. But um, um, he was a great guy, man. Tracy was always had a kind word, always had a smile for everybody, um, always helped you out. Same thing with me on, like, Jim Chadwick and everything. He was always very friendly. Um, the last time I saw Tracy was after he was, you know, he, he was very sick, and uh, he had already lost his hair and stuff, and it was a, a, a Kentucky Elite Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame show in Frankfort, Kentucky, and um, he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame that night, and I was there doing the inducting for somebody else, and, um, and when I saw him and everything, he got up, and he, and he was very sick, but he got up out of his chair, and he made sure he made his way over to me and gave me a huge hug and smile and everything and talked to me for like an hour before the show, before the doors opened and everything, and you know, he was asking about because uh, my mom had had, had uh, colon cancer, and he had cancer, and um, he was asking about you know was she able to overcome it and you know stuff like that, and you know he was talking about my mom. He was very, you know, very interested in her story and everything. And and Tracy always treated everybody like they were you know he you know he was their equal. You know he he wasn't any better, you know, in his eyes than anybody else, even though, you know, we put him on the pedestal because this is Tracy Smothers, you know, you know, wealth of knowledge, you know, he knows everything, but, 
Yeah, he was a great guy, man. He's very missed, very missed. 100% agreed with you there. Well, we're down to the last few minutes of today's show. We could go on for hours upon hours upon hours, but I don't want to take up your whole day. So if there's anything you would like to say to the listeners as we close this up, plug and promote anything and everything you want, merchandise, upcoming shows, social media, your favorite charity, anything at all, floor is yours. Okay, well, uh, I appreciate everybody that that actually has followed my career uh, since 1991. Um, I appreciate you all for being there for me. Uh, I thank you for having me on the show today uh, so much and everything. I always look forward to things like this, and I'm glad we were actually finally able to uh, uh, connect the dots and get this get this going today. Um, come see me on my 50 and Fat Tour, which is uh, only two shows as of right now, but I'm sure that more will probably end up being added. Uh, April the 8th, uh, Elite Wrestling Alliance, Frankfort, Kentucky, Thornhill Education Center, Rumble Royale is the name of the show. $20 for the early access meet and greet, $15 for front row, $10 general admission. April 21st, XCF Legendary at the Arena in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Uh, it's a benefit for Legendary Larry D. Doors open at 7 o'clock. Bell time is at 8 o'clock. Ringside tickets are $25. General admission is 20 and 100% of the proceeds go to the Jones family to help them rebuild after their, after their fire. Um, and uh, you can find me on social media, Facebook. Just look for Bobby Blade. There's a picture of me wearing a bandana and being ugly. I'm holding a microphone. Um, see me on Twitter, uh, at Old School Icon, all one word, all lowercase. Um, subscribe and like and comment to my YouTube uh, YouTube.com slash at Lone Wolf Bobby Blade. Uh, be sure to check out videos, watch, comment, like, all that YouTube jargon that everybody always says. And uh, I'm on Instagram at uh, NDXBlade, uh, all capital letters, all one word, uh, NDXBlade. And I think that's it. Bobby Blade, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. I'm glad we got you here. Finally, always welcome back here anytime, and hopefully our paths will cross again in the future. It's been a very long time. Best of luck on the tour, and I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. Seriously, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Our pleasure, and you're always welcome here, brother, always. Thank you. Uh, Coach, as we wrap this up, you got some things to plug, promote. Yeah, it was nice. We had a earlier special show on this morning. You, Myself and you, or you and myself did an interview with Havoc, Dave Hollenbeck from the Northwest. It was really great, so you guys should check it out. And also the Coach Mike Jones Show podcast every Saturday at noon Pacific. Next week I got Antonio DiFarino from the Midwest on. And then also you can check me out at Coach Mike Jones, a coach with the most. Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for hundreds of interviews from celebrities all over the world. Also, if you need any work done, check out A-plus, Payless Handyman Services. No job too big or small. 10% cheaper than any written estimate. 15% cheaper 
For militaries and seniors, they are licensed, insured, and bonded general contractors so they can build a house from ground up. And we thank you guys so much for all your love and feedback and support and for all you guys do. Thank you. All right. You can find me on all the social medias, the Book of Faces, the Twitter, the YouTubes, the Gram. So search that out. New episode of The Sign of the Times went up just in the last couple of hours. So go check that out. We'll be back with you next week. Next Friday afternoon, we are having the return of Chad French. He is, of course, the promoter of Paulcade, and this is supposedly the last Paulcade event. It will benefit not only the Humane Society, as always with Paulcade, but also they are splitting that money up with the family of the late. Sean Patrick O'Brien, who we lost last week. I will be at Pogcade this year. So we're definitely looking forward to having Chad French on so he can discuss every way you can support that show and support the causes. And then a week from today, before you enjoy WrestleMania, you can listen to us make up the interview with Big Ramp, the manager out of Louisiana. So make sure you have plans to be with us. We will talk to you soon. Everybody stay safe out there and go support your local independent professional wrestling wherever you may have it near you.